And welcome to St. Paul Stories, a podcast falling down the rabbit hole of history, one St. Paul story at a time. I'm your host, Kristen Donaldson, and today we're talking baseball. There are so many stories to tell about baseball in St. Paul. I mean, three, three National Baseball Hall of Famers grew up here. Dave Winfield, Paul Molitor, and Jack Morris. To say nothing of Joe Maurer and Tony Stone the first woman to play professional baseball regularly in a men's league in the 1940s and 50s. We'll do a deep dive on these stories in future episodes, but today we're talking to Frank White, author of They Played for the Love of the Game, Untold Stories of Black Baseball in Minnesota. Frank is an author, historian, and exhibit curator, and recently retired from coordinating the RBI, or Reviving Baseball in the Inner City, program for the Minnesota Twins. He also works with schools to help educate young people, and in the show notes, you'll find a link to Frank's resource list titled Significant Minnesota African Americans. So let's get started. Please enjoy the St. Paul story of Frank White and Untold Stories of Black Baseball. So I'm here with Frank White. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, Kristen, thank you for having me. I (laughs) I really appreciate the opportunity. So we're going to talk today about the St. Paul story of baseball in St. Paul. Sure. Let me begin with, as I grew up, I love baseball. And originally I played for Front Playground. (laughs) I played every day when I was, I want to say 10 years old, we moved to 409 St. Anthony which was a half a block west of Western Avenue in St. Anthony and a half a block from the Ober Boys Club. And there was a a, a field there and and they also had a gym and that stuff. And so I went to the Ober Boys Club every day and baseball at the time was everybody's sport, you know, even though there was football and and basketball, baseball was what I loved to play. My buddies we we would get enough guys and we would play by ourselves every day. <laughs> and then my father was an outstanding athlete. So I I got to follow with my father yeah. when he played. Everybody called me Little Pud. His nickname was Pud. <laughs> and and uh, I was either Little Little Pud or Little Lou. So I always <laughs> was called um with my father's name involved. Who did your dad play for? Uh, so he played for, like in baseball, he he went to Mechanic Arts mm-hmm. High School, yeah. which is no longer with us. And in 1946, he, he was his senior year, he led the conference in hitting with a, an average of 600, which is still a record today. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, um, and I would find out later on um, that, that the Kansas City Monarchs would try to recruit him to play. After high school, or while he was in high school, he played with a team, an all-black baseball team, called the Twin City Colored Giants. Hmm. They barnstorm all over Minnesota and and also into Canada. 
Um, the manager was a guy named George White, not a relative. <laughs> um, and I and I would go watch those teams, but I really didn't know who guys were at the time. Yeah, you know, being a kid, I just I was with my dad. Yeah. I, I loved it. <laughs> Later on, as I started working for the Twins and RBI. I would become familiar with with some additional pieces of information about Tony Stone and some others. And one of the times that we hosted uh, a regional tournament and we played at Dunning, Tony Stone Field, mm-hmm. there's a building there. And I thought, you know what, let me do a little exhibit. And so I contacted the History Center. They sent me some information the Negro League Baseball Museum, uh, Bob Kendricks down there sent me some stuff. And so I put together this little exhibit and it was fun. It was very informative for me. Minnesota, our tradition of baseball is is huge yeah. statewide. But in St. Paul, it's St. Paul gets referred to baseball a lot. Yeah. We were at the History Center and they were doing a an exhibit on black baseball in about 1997, somewhere in that area. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about when Negro League teams used to come through and barnstorm through here. I was standing next to a gentleman named Jim Robinson, a friend uh, and, and a mentor. And he said, you know, they used to come and get your dad to play. I said, who? Uh-huh. He said, those teams, when they used to come through here. I was like, what are you talking about? He said, when those Negro League teams used to come, yeah. sometimes they'd be short players and they'd come and get your dad to play. Oh, my gosh. And I was like, wow. <laughs> and and as I grew up, I didn't really know about the Negro League teams. In fact, I asked Steve Winfield and Bill Peterson, some of my f- close friends, mm-hmm. and they also didn't know about the Negro Leagues. Yeah. It wasn't really well publicized, probably because we didn't have a team. Ah. So we didn't have a team, but they would come through and play like exhibition games or something? Yes, okay. they would, like two teams would come here. Okay. And then they would play at like Lexington Ballpark or or uh, Nicollet Ballpark in Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm sure to promote, but also for them, it was a way to make extra money. Sure, sure. So- so on the drive home, I told my father, I said, Dad, Jim tells me that <laughs> this story. And he and I said, how come you never told me about that? He yeah. said, oh, not important. Oh. <laughs> so I was like, wow. So I think from that day forward, Kristen, I became really interested in finding out more about the Negro League teams. Yeah. And, uh, and. So just in general baseball, because if you do research, you don't find out just about black baseball teams. You find out about baseball in general. Sure. It was amazing to me. The more I did, the more I would find out, the more I would pursue. Yeah. Once you go down a rabbit hole. Yeah, then it, you- <laughs> exactly. Yeah, need exactly. to know more. <laughs> yeah. And so when I look back at the St. Paul Saints or the American Association, also the Minneapolis Millers. We've had some great baseball players that have come through our our state of Minnesota. Yeah. And then if you add into it a Dave Winfield, a Paul Molitor, yeah. a Jack Morris, yeah. um, uh, a Joe Maurer, mm-hmm. and there are many others that didn't make it 
to that level. Sure. But we're very good. Um, but yeah, to have three National Baseball Hall of Famers come out of the same. <laughs> and in a small area. I mean, if you yeah. look at the radius of where they live. Totally. It's like, holy cow. <laughs> There's uh, something know. in the water. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, but it speaks to the the quality of the program there, obviously. I mean. Yeah. And, and I can't really remember all of the teams in the research, but there were a lot of baseball teams, a lot of that were very good baseball teams yeah. that were centered in St. Paul. Yeah. One of the, the most famous teams that a lot of people don't know about was a team called the St. Paul Gophers, or we were referred to as the St. Paul Colored Gophers. Okay. So they were started in 1907 by a gentleman named Phil Reed. So Phil owned a, a tavern in downtown St. Paul on mm-hmm. 3rd Avenue or Kellogg today. Yep, yep. Their team was in existence for three years, 07, 8, 9, I'm sorry, four years, 10. And then after that, somebody else took over. Mm-hmm. But during that time, their winning percentage, and they played everybody, Saints, Millers, Barnstorm, all over. Their winning percentage was like about seven eighty. So I mean, oh. they were they were winning, <laughs> you know, seven, yeah, seven maybe eight games out of ten whenever they played, wow. and regardless who they played, yeah, all black team. Those guys that they traveled, they played over a hundred games a season. Wow. So they did a lot of traveling, a lot of barnstorming. Back then, where did they play in St. Paul? Do you know? Uh they played. There was a a, a field. Um, that would have been down by the Capitol, yeah. like 10th and Robert Street, somewhere right down in there. Yeah. And it was called the Pillbox, referred to as the Pillbox. Okay. So they played some there. Yeah. In fact, in, in 1909, they played a team called the uh, Leland Giants out of Chicago mm-hmm. and beat them in a five-game series. And after that, they were proclaimed the Black National Champions. Nice. And then eventually the Saints had a stadium at called the Aurora Grounds, which would have been at Aurora and Dale. And was that a black team? No, the, that, the, the St. Paul Saints actually was a team that, that was owned by Charles Comiskey. Oh, okay. Yep. Which a couple of years later would be moved to Chicago and they became the... White Sox? The White Sox. <laughs> uh, but then before they moved, they also built Lexington Ballpark up on mm. University in Lexington. Yeah. But those were fields that the, the the Gophers played. You know, they would make arrangements to whoever owned the field. Mm-hmm. And there were some other locations. They also played over at Nicola Ballpark in Minneapolis. Okay. Throughout Minnesota, Wisconsin, et cetera. Everybody wanted a team. Mm-hmm. For pride purposes, but sometimes because of the economic impact, when you play a team and all of a sudden you get a thousand people plus coming into a town that maybe only had 300 people, (laughs) you know, it was a big boom to to the economy. I bet. Yeah. Um, So, so again, the, the Gophers were, was a team that everybody wanted to play. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I speculate that. Part of the reason was because they were all black. Mm-hmm. So I know they, they would have an ongoing back and forth uh, home and away situation with Hibbing, Minnesota, mm. the team in Hibbing. Okay. that also had a, a very good baseball team. 
Well, if you can imagine at the time, uh-huh. we're talking about the early 20th century. Yeah. People in northern Minnesota probably hadn't seen black people. Sure. Right? Yeah. So a part of recruiting them to play, people probably bought tickets to see, well, we're going to see this baseball team. Yeah. These guys are supposed to be good. But there was a curiosity maybe to see. Sure. Right. Yeah. Black guys. Yeah, right. Yeah. Because if you haven't seen one, it's well, like. Yeah. And and I and and I could tell you some of the negatives about that because you know people, I can only imagine yeah people wanted to see him do <clears throat> one of the things I I often mention is sometimes early on people depicted black people uh, or maybe at the time Negroes maybe they had tails oh oh so people were like oh, let's go see do they really have tails oh. or whatever you know so and and people don't want to hear that. But the reality is that's in the folklore of some of the things that were said about black people. So the the Gophers were an outstanding baseball team. Mm -hmm. That story a lot of people don't know. Um, But if you looked at it or whatever, you know, researched it, you would find that that team was, their winning percentage was unbelievable. Mm -hmm. And they played everybody. Yeah. So I think this, the overall, these stories were amazing to me because mm-hmm. I could only imagine. The challenge for the all-black teams also was back in the early 20th century and even going to, we, we had segregated baseball here mm-hmm. in Minnesota, in the north. And, and there was segregated baseball all over. It was interesting that the teams, the the white team, so to speak, would want to play them. Again, it was clearly the competitive nature of who was the best team. Yeah. And, and so while there was segregated baseball, there was still the desire to to prove who was the best team. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that uh, St. Paul... Is is again one of those places that's at the the center mm-hmm. of baseball history in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. You can't talk about Minnesota baseball without talking about St. Paul mm-hmm. near the top, or maybe the top. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And and uh, and we could go. There's so many names that could be included in that. You know, obviously the guys that have made it to the Hall of Fame are there, but but there were again when we think about segregated baseball, there were a lot of guys that were good baseball players, but you'll never know about them. Yeah. Because they never got written about. They never got documented and sure. stuff like that. Tony Stone yeah. out of St. Paul, yeah. who was a woman that ended up playing with the men. In fact, she played with the Twin City Colored Giants mm-hmm. and as a as a 16-year-old girl. <laughs> and and same team, same organization, so to speak. Um, and the guy that eventually would uh, manage my father, George White, actually played when Tony played. Oh, yeah. I think about what her struggle would, would have been. First of all, she was a woman. Playing with a bunch of guys. Yeah. Right? Right. I'm I'm absolutely guaranteed that some of the guys were hitting on her. Sure. Right. <laughs> some of the guys are saying, You need to you need to go 
go get in the kitchen, right. et cetera, right? right. You, know, you, don't, you don't belong here. And there were probably some women that also at the time, because mm-hmm. that wasn't normal. Yeah. For a woman to play with the men. Right. What time frame did Tony Stone play, roughly? She was born in uh, 21. Yeah. So so she was in St. Paul in the mid-30s. Okay. Okay. And would leave, um, I think in 1943, she moved to California. Okay. And that's where she ended up playing for a team in California. Then she played for a team in New Orleans. And then in 55, she gets recruited by the Indianapolis Clowns after Henry Aaron ended up going into Major League Baseball. So the story for that is that they hired her to replace Henry. Well, they didn't hire her to replace Henry. They hired her as another ball player. But maybe it was a promotional thing is what some stories say. Because at the time the Negro Leagues were were declining mm-hmm. had, or had already declined. Yeah. By the time she comes fifty five, there's they're like one of the few teams left. Okay. So, um, so but they continued to barnstorm and play all over, but primarily there there wasn't a league, so they they ended up mm. um, really barnstorming a lot and playing, you know, coming to the Twin Cities or wherever. Mm-hmm. So those various teams that she played on, those would have been men's teams that were integrated or not? No. No. They were not integrated. So they would have been um, all black teams also. And and then the Indianapolis Clowns was a Negro League team. Okay. But by the time she started playing, again, the the Negro Leagues had, had really declined. Yeah. We're just like uh, understanding the layers and, you know, baseball has the minor leagues and the major right. leagues. Where did the Negro Leagues fit in there? Was that like the major leagues of black baseball or? It, it was, yes. Okay. It, it was the highest level Okay. Um, before 47 when Jackie went in. So the Negro Leagues would have been considered the highest level a black ball player could achieve. Okay. A couple of years ago. Major League Baseball has now acknowledged that I think about seven of those leagues would have been considered major leagues or they have considered them a major league. So they've added the stats now into major league players statistics. The trouble with that is they weren't kept very well. Oh, sure. So here's another story about St. Paul. (laughs) So the guy that Jackie replaces at first base Mm -hmm. is a guy named Howie Schultz. Okay. Howie Schultz went to St. Paul Central High School. Really? Hamlin University. Hmm. Howie played for the Dodgers and the Minneapolis Lakers. (laughs) Was it, that's basketball. Basketball. Okay. <laughs> so Howie was 6'6". Oh, wow. So he was a very talented athlete. Wow. He also was my high school baseball and basketball coach. No way, really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and at the time, I didn't know. And I, my father one day told me we were watching a ball game. And, and this was after Jackie had retired. Um, and and then I think we were watching that. I was a big Dodger fan because of the Saints being here. 
and and they mentioned Jackie Robinson, and my dad said, "You know who uh, who Jackie replaced at first base, don't you?" <laughs> I said, "No, Dad. Who?" He said, "Your coach." <laughs> I said, "Who?" <laughs> he said, "Howie." I was like, "Really?" <laughs> so I never had a, an opportunity to to talk to Howie about his experience. Hmm. When I did the exhibit, I actually talked to his son, Skip, who also went to Central High School. And I knew him because when I played, Skip was younger and he was always around the gym. Sure. So I was able to contact him and I said, man, do you have any pictures of dad and mm-hmm. Jackie together uh, or any stories? And and he so he sent me a newspaper clipping that had, uh, it showed the Dodgers in the dugout with his his father and Jackie in uniform. and. Mm. They're like next to each other. And I was like, oh, my. So then I've heard a couple of stories. And do you think there were hard feelings there? I mean, the guy comes in to replace you. <laughs> I, you know, I don't think so. No, I, they I don't were think, I think one of the stories um, that, that was shared with me, um, and I've seen this a couple of different times, is so when, when Jackie came in, mm-hmm. he was really a second baseman in the Negro Leagues. He played shortstop. He was. Of an outstanding athlete, and so, but the Dodgers already had a second baseman and a shortstop. Okay, so they needed him to play, so they moved him to first base. So when they went to spring training, Howie actually showed Jackie how to play first base. Oh wow! When Jackie then took over first base, the Dodgers sold mm-hmm. Howie to the Phillies. The first time that the that the Dodgers go to Philadelphia to play the Phillies, mm-hmm. the manager is, is a racist. Mm-hmm. This is somewhat depicted in the movie 42. Mm. So he's not treated very well. And the first time up to bat, they knock him down and and uh, either he gets hit or, or he walks to, to first base. Yeah. As he's coming to first base, he's brushing himself off. And Howie says... Jackie, how do you take this day in and day out? Mm. And Jackie says, it's okay, Howie. I'll have my day. Mm. So, I mean, that's quite a story yeah. to me. And and wow. But I don't I don't think Howie had any ill feelings. Mm-hmm. However, there were guys on the Dodgers that didn't want to play with with Jackie because sure. he was Negro at the time or whatever. And, yeah. And they were from the South. Right. So, um, and I think that was part of the other fear of of uh, of maybe segregated baseball was that if these guys were allowed to come in, they were going to take some guys were going to lose their job. Totally, yeah. And I I think something like in the first ten years, yeah, six or seven of the years, the MVP of the league are guys from the Negro League. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, so it's so some people think that maybe the Negro Leagues were, the players were were not only pretty good, but could have been maybe better when yeah. you look at the league overall. Superior, yeah. Yeah, so, and, and so, and we'll never know. I right, mean, there's right. always comparisons. However, the guys that did go in did well. Yeah. There are a lot of guys that got signed, but then they also got sent to minor league teams that played in the South. Mm. And they couldn't deal with, Jim Crow. Yeah. And they would quit or they would go play in Cuba or Mexico mm. because they were treated a lot better. Sure. 
All of that happened here in in Minnesota and St. Paul, too. We had segregated baseball until 47, Mm -hmm. where where that color barrier began to break down. Mm -hmm. Teams started uh, signing players from the Negro Leagues because they were folding and guys were still looking, how can I make money playing baseball? Yeah, right, yeah. Right? So sometimes those guys were coming into to Minnesota to play, even if it was just for the season. If you were to research and look at the stories of of some of the teams that that were in the early 20th century, even going up into the 40s and, and, and 50s, baseball was tremendous here. <laughs> but we didn't have a major league baseball team until 1961. Is that right? When the Correct. Twins came to town? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, and then so we had the... We had two AAA teams, the Millers and the Saints. Okay. Until f- probably 60 was maybe the last season that they were here. It might have even been 59 mm-hmm. um, because there was this 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 fight over who was going to have the major league team. Okay. So, so Minneapolis uh, or St. Paul. Right. So, okay. <laughs> so the guys in Minneapolis got together with Bloomington and made Met Stadium. Right. Are there any um, characters that stand out in your mind? Well, some of the stories, um, there was a guy named Jake Foots, and and they they talked about uh, one of the stories about this guy, Jay's Fuchs. He was a catcher, mm-hmm. and and they would say he would put on a show sometimes by catching, you know, warm-ups in a rocking chair or something like that. <laughs> and then um, at Dunning... <laughs> Um, there was on the Concordia side, the the streetcar used to come up there, and it would it would do a loop, okay, in kind of like in the park. Yeah. Well, they talked about one time this Jake Foots when they play where they were playing, he hit a long ball that ended up hitting and bouncing up on the the a streetcar that was. <laughs> Ed Mudd made a loop, and the, the outfielder was standing there waiting for it to roll back off. <laughs> and and they they it rolled back off, and they threw him out going into second base. <laughs> and and it's funny because they were what they were kidding him about was how slow he was, right, <laughs> in terms of running because he hit this ball. You know, if you saw the area right now, yeah, where Tony Stone is at, and then on the other side they've got softball fields. But it had to be a significant hit, right? <laughs> so so it, it's just kind of funny. It was like <laughs> trying to imagine. So there's some great stories that people have told me. Yeah. One other story in one of my recent articles that I've I just completed is about a guy named Billy Williams. Went to mechanic arts in the late 19th century. I think he was born in 1877. So that's like... Wow, it seems like years ago. (laughs) But this guy ended up, so in 1905, so he, again, African-American guy, got offered a contract, but they wanted him to say that he was an Indian or Native, right? Uh He didn't want to do that. So in 1905, he is hired by Governor Johnson as he's the newly elected governor that's going to move into the brand new capital. Okay, yep. Billy Williams goes on to be his assistant, not the assistant governor, 
But his assistant, yeah. he ends up being in that position for 14 consecutive governors. Oh, my gosh. For 53 years. Wow. Which in itself huh. is nobody knows about that. Yeah. Well, I, said, I, I should say nobody knows. More people know about it, but more people hopefully even now. Yeah. To me, if you can imagine... 14 consecutive governors. And here's the thing. Because he was he was well-liked, a good athlete. Mm-hmm. And if you sit with somebody every day, mm-hmm. I got to believe that somebody said, hey, Billy, can I ask you a question? What do you think about this? Mm-hmm. Or here's a challenge that I have in terms of maybe uh, working with Negroes or whatever at yeah. the time. yeah. He's got to have had some kind of influence. Oh, yeah, right? for sure. Yeah. Um, but there's nothing documented about that yeah. stuff, you know? So mm-hmm. so it's only speculation. Mm-hmm. But he's one of the guys that I find out about that yeah. not only is it, he's one of the premier baseball players mm-hmm. in the early 20th century. Yeah. And then he goes to work at the Capitol. Hmm. He is the longest full service employee in state capital history. Really? Wow. This year, the Saints, we honored Billy Williams. Oh, really? And they did a, a thing with the governor at, at the state capital. Um, Very cool. But they went down and then we did a thing with the Saints. We also, last year, Phil Reed, who was the owner of the St. Paul Colored Gophers, yeah. we put a headstone on his grave. Oh, wow. That didn't have one. Hmm. So, so again, through the twins mm-hmm. or with the twins and through the saints, mm-hmm. we've been able, they've been able to do some things. They have this city baseball museum now that's at the stadium. Some of my stuff is in there. And at I've the St. Paul Saints Stadium. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've seen that. It's very yeah. cool. Yeah. So it's, it's been really fun to be connected to a game mm-hmm. that I grew up playing and yeah. loved. I yeah. mean, I, I love playing baseball <laughs> every day, you know, and, and sometimes we'd, okay, we'll stop now because it's too dark, but let's remember what the score was and we'll come back <laughs> and finish it tomorrow. I love that. Yeah. Or, if, or if we didn't have enough players, you couldn't hit to right field because we didn't have a right field or <laughs> something like that. I So, Kristen, I, I never, I, I've always loved history. Yeah. I never had an idea that I would become a researcher or maybe considered a historian or amateur historian or whatever (laughs) I'm called. Uh, I'm I'm fortunate uh, uh, again to, to still be here. And a part of that is my passion now in our schools today. I, I, I get calls about, uh, helping kids do stuff about the Negro Leagues or that kind of stuff on baseball. And as I've done that, the History Center has done uh, a list of standards that the book deals with. And then I would go into the school and talk to the to the kids if they'd want me to. And I'd like to continue to work with schools. Mm-hmm. And the reason being is, well, but you don't find this stuff out in schools. Yeah. So- Teachers don't know about it because they weren't exposed to it. Right, right. So my resource list is an opportunity 
to me, that resource list, if you gave it to kids and said, yeah, we're more than Martin Luther King yeah. and Jackie Robinson. And, and there's actually at least 10 more names that should be on that list. So I'm probably going to update that again sure, yeah. and, and, and add to it. Um, and, and even then, it won't be the all-inclusive list, but it would be a, a list for people that were interested in sharing with other students. Yeah, here's a jumping some people off point. That, right. Yeah. It, 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 here's some people that you have no idea have had an impact yeah. on Minnesota history. Totally. So that's my goal, again, is, is to, to help share information that's normally kind of tucked away mm-hmm. uh, or only you only know about it if somebody told you about it. Yeah, right. But in general, it's really not talked about. Mm-hmm. Now, I just think that it's an opportunity to, to share more history mm-hmm. and expand on our knowledge. Yeah. And you mentioned a rabbit hole. I mean, it's, I I can remember looking at some of the newspapers and just looking for the word baseball. Mm-hmm. And then I would see this article here on, on a front page and go, oh, and I'd start reading that. <laughs> yes. And I'd be like, and then I, okay, well, let me see next week's paper, yeah. you know, all on microfilm or whatever. And it's yeah. like pieces of of history maybe that I knew, but only a bit of or yeah, yeah. had heard of. And then you read more about it from a different perspective. And it's like, mm-hmm. oh, wow. On your handout here, which I'm holding, and okay. we'll, we'll put a link to it in the okay. show notes. But there's a quote that I uh, that I just want to read a piece okay. of because I think it's touches on what we're talking about here. And it says, history develops a pride and awareness in people so that they can become better instruments for living together with other people. I love that. Oh, absolutely. And actually, it's a quote from somebody else. Dr. John Henrik Clark. Yeah, mm-hmm. Dr. Clark. Yeah. I, and and it's and it's so true. I You can't get to where you're going if you don't know where you've been, so yeah. to speak, or whatever, right? Yeah. And and uh, I, I, I just think it's a great quote. And, yeah. And I think if we don't know our history, you don't have to know everything. But if you know a little bit more, mm-hmm. you know, it, it makes more sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just so many things that I that I find interesting. Yeah, me too. <laughs> to, to, uh, to, to share. And, and, I, and I appreciate yeah. what you're doing yeah. because people that, that listen, hopefully there'll be one or two things that they'll walk away with and go, yeah. oh, let me find out more about that. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining oh, me. This has been I, really lovely. Oh, <laughs> thank you. And I, it's it's interesting because my daughter says, "Dad, you talk too much," <laughs> <laughs> and and I'm 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 obviously a very social person or whatever, <laughs> and and you get involved in something that you have a passion for, yeah. So it's easy to talk about, oh, yeah. And, and then and then recollect on some of the stories. Yeah, we've barely scratched the surface. I'm yeah. sure we could talk for <laughs> days and days. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's so, but it but it's an opportunity to share. Yeah, yeah. And I like that. And yeah. and so, so thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, thank I appreciate you. Appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> St. Paul Stories is produced and edited by me, Kristen Donaldson. Our opening and closing music is from the lovely and talented Sarah Morris. 
sarahmorrismusic.com. Be sure to follow St. Paul Stories on Instagram and Facebook. And if you enjoyed this episode, give us a rating and a review on your podcast app. Thanks, and we'll see you next time for more St. Paul Stories. Stories.